angry, disgusted, ignored. I was thinking lots of four-letter words then. Cheated, furious, deceived. I was cross, as were my friends. Patronised, vengeful, livid, finally unsurprised. This is a story about a scandal, about infighting and rumours, and it's about sewing. I'm Basha Cummings, and in this week's Slow Newscast, we're going to take you on a pretty wild ride through the world of British embroidery, where a fierce storm has been brewing. And if you thought that the Handforth Parish Council meeting was angry, well, you haven't met the embroiderers. Forget any images you might have in your mind of dainty women doing needlepoint or some scenes from Pride and Prejudice. This isn't about posh women gently sewing to keep themselves out of trouble. This is much more radical. In the reporting of this story, one woman sent us a threat that she'd found circulating on the internet in embroidered form. Warning, it read in all capital letters. This is proof that I have the patience to stab something a thousand times. And it was illustrated with a skull. Now, you see, this is a story about some seriously cross-stitching. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My colleague Claudia Williams has been reporting this over the past few weeks. She dared to enter into the snake pit of anger and conflicting narratives and accusations that has totally engulfed the Embroiderers Guild, a century-old institution that has found itself at war with its embroidery-loving members. Hi, Claudia. Hey. I have to say, this story sounds amazing and very dramatic. How did you first come across it? Like all the best stories, this one started with a whistleblower. An angry stitcher told us that there was something fishy going on at the Embroiderers Guild. And perhaps we should take a look. Now, you might not have heard about the Embroiderers Guild, but it's a charity. And in its own words, it promotes textile art in all its forms. It's also this membership organisation, and it's got, at the moment, about 4,000 members. On average, they're about 70 years old. Members hang out together at local branches where they get together to sew and socialise and organise talks. Think Women's Institute, but with needles and thread. But recently, something went weird. There was a financial crisis at the Guild. I thought it was all about the pandemic at first. 
But as we started digging, we uncovered rumours of a CEO earning 100k a year, valuable items being sold off, family members hired as financial managers, and a membership that was turning against its own charity. Our story starts with a pretty remarkable showdown. Good morning, everyone. We acknowledge that this is the difficult time for all concerned. This is the general meeting of the Embroiderers Guild, held at the beginning of March. It was big news. A couple of weeks beforehand, members had found out that their local branch accounts had been frozen and that the branches, the bit they loved the most about the charity, were probably going to close. Apparently, 4,000 people tried to attend the meeting and only 982 made the cut because of limits on Zoom. It is a shock for many members, but the writing has been on the wall for several years. It's not quite as fiery, but we are in the terrain of Jackie Weaver and the Hanforth Parish Council meeting. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No authority at all. You may remember it as a rare moment of pandemic joy when it went absolutely viral in February. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. (gasps) The general meeting was tense. Off camera, hundreds of women were becoming more and more incensed. I actually interviewed one woman who said she had to start knitting to stop herself from screaming at the laptop. And from the very beginning, these trustees who are unpaid volunteers, they're clearly really nervous. It felt like they set up a very us versus them dynamic. In April 2019, We presented a guild plan to face the challenges. Only 23 of 145 branches registered to take part in the initiative. And there was also someone on the call who I really hadn't expected to see. One question that has arisen is why Terry Murphy is logged in as a participant. Um, He has been providing background technical support and support for members experiencing difficulties in getting into the meeting. He's also a member of the Guild, so he's entitled to be here. Terry Murphy is the Embroiderers Guild former CEO. He was CEO for the best part of a decade until he retired at the beginning of 2021. And from the outside, anyway, it is not clear how he fits within the world of the Embroiderers Guild. He's an ex-Procter & Gamble man. On his LinkedIn, he pitches himself as a consultant. He specialises in bringing companies back from the brink. He's about change and transformation. And during this hugely important meeting, he is sitting there on screen, sucking his pen. I mean, it's possible he didn't know the camera was on him, but it goes down terribly with some members. Just the sight of him incenses them. And then he's there, all blasé, chewing on a biro. You can imagine it. A lot of furious stitching and knitting going on. Because what's really happening here is a clash of cultures. This guy, the changemaker, has been at the top of an organisation focusing on the money. And he's completely at odds, a world away from the members, almost all women, who love embroidery, they love the branches, they love the community of it all. Because the thing is, really, it's impossible to understand this story without understanding what the guild and embroidery means to these women. 
I'd always sewed, but I'd never had any professional training apart, you know, just bits and pieces at school and the like. And my sister-in-law found an embroidery class um, near her and we used to go along on a Monday evening and the person who ran that was chairman of the Merseyside branch of the Embroiderers Guild. I then joined the guild and that was in 1988 and I've been a member ever since. So That's Jill. She's one of many women I've spoken to for this story and yes, they're all women except for Terry. And they've all said the same thing, that the drama and the outrage all comes from a place of love. And it's tricky because the Guild isn't a charity in the way you might typically think of one. It has charitable aims. It provides scholarships, looks after an important collection of embroidery. It runs a magazine. It puts on educational events. It has priorities of its own. But then on top of that, it also runs a membership organisation. And these members, they have expectations and demands. They form this deep network of local chapters. And for many of the women, these branches have been a home, a community for decades. And of course, there's also a big social element. We stitch, we chat, you know, it's a space for women to do their, their, well, it's mainly women, (laughs) to do their (laughs) stitching. I mean, I've had lots of good friends in my life, but I don't think I've ever had so many sewing friends. And I really like having sewing friends. You find someone who has the same interests as you, the same common purpose as you, the same enjoyment in a craft as you. There is always a great connection. Honestly, the way that some of these women talk about their local branches, it's so heartwarming. And the thing is that for many of them, it's what's kept them going during the pandemic. So when they find out that all of this could be cut loose from the Guild, it's a huge shock. And they're angry. But that anger, it hasn't come out of nowhere. And that's the thing with this story. The more you dig into it, the more you realise that this is an unlikely viper's nest of accusations and infighting that goes way, way back. I left when... The Manchester project failed and at the time the Guild had been told that they probably would have to move out of Hampton Court Palace. There wasn't very much money anyway and I think that there was... This is Claire Jady, ardent embroiderer and long-time Guild member. In fact, in the late noughties, she was a financial advisor to the Guild trustees and also a Guild treasurer. So she's seen it all. In 2010, Terry was brought in as an interim CEO. The Guild was in debt after a big project to move the headquarters to Manchester had gone drastically wrong, leaving a black hole in the Guild's finances and members annoyed. Terry was going to turn it all around and save the day. He was a changemaker, after all. But an expensive one. An unusually expensive one. The Guild has refused to confirm this, but we've been told that Terry was being paid £9,500 per month to help solve the charity's problems. For Claire, that was just insane. So I became really concerned, partly because of the way he was taken on. So he was a self-employed consultant, not a proper employee. And also because of the amount, if you divided the number of members at the time, which was about 10,000, by the amount he was taking. So we were paying fees at the time of around £23 per member. And £13 of that was going directly to pay his salary, if you assume there was no other income for the Guild. And I just thought that was a shockingly large proportion of our fees. And it made me wonder what there was left of our £23 to pay for other stuff 
to do with the running of the guild and to do with other charitable objectives the guild might have had. So I just thought it was an exceptional amount of money to be paying from our subs. And I couldn't see how the guild could afford that amount long term unless it started to get to really increase its other sources of income, which it never did. And and what did you do about those concerns? Did you raise them with the trustees? Did you raise them with the CEO? I wrote a letter to the trustees and to members, which I was hoping that I would be able to read at the AGM. It expressed my concerns about the amount he was paid and some of the defences that I'd seen of, of the amount he was being paid. But actually, I wasn't allowed to speak at the meeting, but I felt that things were then able to carry on with Terry Murphy being paid, I think, a considerable amount of money. Tensions just grew from there. Many members felt uncomfortable that this guy had been drafted in and paid so much cash. Terry's salary became an elephant in the room. Claire raised her objections and she wasn't alone in doing that. There were others, such as Pauline Hannon. She was a long-time member from Lancashire who was voted in as chairman of the Guild just after Terry was hired. She wasn't convinced by him either. And did you raise concerns to the trustees and to the CEO himself, kind of from yeah. the beginning? Yes, that we can't continue. We will have to look for a CEO who is employed. You know, 120-odd um, was off the radar. Mm. Absolutely off the radar. Okay, So he's being paid a lot. But this charity clearly needs some change and some transformation. And you get what you pay for. But part of what's remarkable here is that over the course of a decade, the issue remains heated. It's never really resolved. And it's not just about the money. Some members, and I should say that it is definitely not all members, they were concerned about other things too. Pieces of embroidery from the Guild's collection were sold off without members being told. One of the CEO's family members was hired for a financial role. And an expensive but troublesome database system meant that memberships lapsed without people knowing. And this is all happening during a decade where interest in the Guild is waning. Membership drops and that impacts the finances, the magazine profits go down... And to many of the members, the actual offering from the Central Guild is getting worse. And look, these are women who get together regularly, sit together, natter and sew. It's the perfect conditions for a giant rumour mill. The Guild and Terry say that these are totally unfair criticisms, that tough decisions were taken because they had to be, and that the Guild's decline goes back a long time. The Guild fully supports Terry and the work that he's achieved and says that this criticism, it comes from a minority of members with strong opinions. The charity doesn't want to focus on the past, it wants to look forward to the future. So that's one side of things, but there's also something underneath it all. One member told me that it felt like Terry just didn't take the embroidery done by the women in the branches seriously, that it seemed like it was just women's work. In his leaving letter to members when he retired earlier this year, he jokes about the fact that he's never picked up a needle. And I think that brings us to a really important point of perception here. This is a charity that is almost entirely made up of women. But it's now run by this man who says that he's a specialist in corporate turnarounds on this big salary. And some of the members, frankly, felt dismissed. He came to address the Merseyside branch um, 
we were not favourably impressed with him as a person or as a CEO. This is Jill, the member from Merseyside. She works as an accountant and also runs a small business making corsets and wedding gear. And there was this, it, it was quite a patronising attitude he adopted to the members. And we were ask, tra- asking hard questions about funding and the like. And it was the, oh, will you do this? And it was the dismissive, it was almost misogynistic in some respects. It was very dismissive and we got infuriated. I can tell you the members of Merseyside Branch were pretty steamed up about it. The situation became so difficult that for some people, it felt like you were either with Terry or against him. Pauline, the woman who was elected chairman just after he started, felt like she was being targeted because of her objections to the way the Guild was being run, and trustees were starting to turn against her because of it. I think they were just conspiring to get rid of me. And what happened in the end? They got rid of me. And this was all setting the scene for 2021. In February's newsletter, Terry writes that he's retiring as CEO. And then there's this cascade of events. It all kicks off. Claire was one of the first to notice, and she had a theory about what was going on. I knew that he would only have retired if the money had run out. Uh, so, So my immediate reaction was that the guilds must be in financial trouble, otherwise he'd still be there taking the money. And I suggested to our branch that we should try and make sure that we we spent our money, the money that was left in our account, and then our account was frozen. So we um, it, it was frozen when we had about £500 still left in it. And how did you feel realising that it had been frozen? <laughs> really angry but not at all surprised. As soon as I got that email saying that Terry Murphy had retired, I knew that the guild was in trouble at that stage, but I didn't think it would try and get rid of the branches. And that was the bit that came as a shock? Yes. Yeah. Again, it comes down to perception. The members might not like the charity freezing their accounts, but the money in the branch accounts is the charity's money. If they're facing financial ruin, they have to call their money in. But I mean, the timing couldn't have been worse. Almost a year into this lonely pandemic, the members get this notice that basically says, we need you to vote to cut off the branches from the Guild. And if you don't, you're essentially voting for the Guild to go into liquidation. In both cases, the branches are gone. It is a lose-lose. Oh, and by the way, you've got two weeks to decide. At the very least, it seems wildly tactless. And I think for a lot of people, it was a moment of, you know, all those problems that have been bubbling away. This is it. And then all hell breaks loose. Embroidery hell. I was cross, as were my friends. I really felt like sticking it to them. I said, I have to at least do something. I can't sit by and watch nothing happened. That's just not me. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Teresa Harvey has stitched for years, but she's a relative newcomer to the Guild. But that did not hold her back. She was one of the first organisers of what I'm going to call the resistance. Terry and the Guild were about to learn, you do not mess with the stitches. So we had a Zoom meeting and we had managed to contact, I think, over 30 branches. And we had about 50 people on the, the WhatsApp group. And at the meeting, people had their say. Obviously, there were some people who just wanted to voice how they felt about it to start with. And then we were working out a way forward. And one lady said she would start up a petition. Teresa and the others were on a roll. They sent letters and emails. They formed WhatsApp groups. They set up a petition. They even contacted barristers and the charities ombudsman. And I think as a demographic, we're not a naturally militant group because we are probably mainly women who are 55 or older. We do have some men and we do have some younger people. But that is the group of women that are often written about as being invisible. Um, And I think that's probably sometimes true. And I don't think we're quite as militant as younger women because of the way that we were brought up. What's expected of you actually has a subliminal effect on you. You say not make a fuss, but from what you've just said, you quite quickly organised. Yeah. You got together a group, you got together, <laughs> you created a Zoom, you created an action group and a, we did. And a series of points and, and, and actions to carry out and you kind of shared the labour and you Yeah, we did. You... We did try, yeah. And we also, we tried a bit of craftivism as well, um, which was suggested by somebody in our branch Verity Franklin, and she suggested that we all embroider one word as how the actions of the Embroiderers Guild had made us feel, and then post it online. Um, I actually put shattered because I was quite busy trying to organise all of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were some of the other ones? Other ones would include betrayed, somebody put, uh, some people just put angry embittered, uh, ignored. But also the, the one thing that did feel a bit strange about that was it felt very negative. So I then felt the need on another bit of material to embroider the word hope because 
I don't want to be just negative. And we have hope that the groups will carry on as independent concerns, so to balance it out. Teresa and the resistance, they're, you know, trying to get things done. They embroidered these one words and they even sent them with a video to artist Grayson Perry, a submission as part of Grayson's Art Club on Channel 4. Welcome to Art Club! I'm Grayson Perry. They were not going to take this lying down. Jill, the member from Merseyside who he met earlier, she went a step further. As you may have gathered, one word wasn't sufficient for me. (laughs) I wanted to take a few words. And I think it was a case of, there was such a range of emotions. Jill embroidered 15 words and she shared them on her Instagram. And then she put them together as a single piece. What were the words that you embroidered? (laughs) Do you really want to know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, in order. Angry, disgusted, ignored, disdained. Robbed, cheated, furious, deceived, patronised, vengeful, livid, victimised, incensed, F blank blank C-K-D. Finally, unsurprised. And then, E.G., ripped in pieces. R.I.P. It's a pretty strong statement. Oh, yeah. Well, the written word can be more powerful than the spoken in some cases. And I think if you use a hard written word in conjunction with what is perceived to be a gentle craft, it can be quite powerful as an image because you're using something that is deemed to be domestic and genteel, but you ally it with a really hard word. It makes you sit up and look. I think this really gets to the heart of it. We have all these misconceptions about embroidery and its history. And really, it shouldn't be a surprise that the action group has cropped up. There's this image of embroidery as all pride and prejudice. But those are stereotypes. And as an art form, it's always been so much more radical than that. It's been used by basically every community on earth, by people of all classes. And it has a really long history of being used in protest movements. Textiles has been used in banner making for protesting whether it's suffragettes and the women's liberation movement or trade unions making banners for protests to go to the streets. This is Hannah Hill, an embroiderer, visual artist and historian. She told me that the power of embroidery is in how personal it is. With embroidery, your literal blood, sweat and tears go into it, you know, because just of the nature of it being a little sharp sometimes. So your physical being, DNA, is going into your artwork. Most of the women I've been speaking to for this investigation, they're in their 50s, 60s or maybe 70s. But Hannah is in her mid-20s and she's one of many young embroiderers helping to change the perception of the craft, sharing her work on social media. I've had people come up to me in clubs and compliment my embroidery especially in I like grime music I've been in grime raves and I've had you know young guys come up to me and say oh did you embroider that chicken box or did you do this and that is evidence enough that embroidery is reaching different audiences. Yes she means chicken box like the type you'd get your chicken nuggets in. She also went viral a few years ago when she embroidered that Arthur meme. You know, the TV animation one with a clenched fist? And she added the caption, When you remember that historically, embroidery hasn't been taken seriously as a medium because it's women's work. 
Hannah and her memes are kind of emblematic of this new growing popularity of embroidery among younger people, added to the fact that more people have taken up crafting during lockdown and it's had this huge boost from being seen in period drama Bridgerton. It makes it even more frustrating for some members that the Guild wasn't able to capitalise on this. This could have been the moment for the Embroiderers Guild. And instead, we're here. Uh, Now that the report has been delivered, the chat facility has been enabled. If we jump back into that meeting held at the beginning of March, the one on Zoom, where they're explaining the situation from the Guild's perspective, the whole thing has this completely bizarre tone full of subtext and digs. It gets off to what could be the least tactical opening you can imagine, especially given the strength of feeling that's floating around. The Guild trustees start by launching a scripted counterattack on the resistance group for damaging the reputation of the charity. Of course, people are entitled to express and register their views, but these campaigns present a somewhat biased and a certainly incomplete picture. We are aware that over 5,000 people, including the general public and non-members, have supported the petition on 38 degrees. But to what end? At a time when the charity has suffered a major loss of members due mainly to COVID and desperately needs to substantially increase its membership, this petition carried an inevitable subtext, one that could easily dissuade others from joining and discouraging those who might volunteer their services. They claim that the action group is making a bad situation worse. And even though loads of the information given is useful and important, there's also quite a lot of snarkiness in the way some of the trustees were speaking to or about members. Um, There was a later question submitted by Sussex Stitchers. Uh, can I also just comment that these questions come from a branch that held a vote in 20, October 2020 on whether to leave the Guild and become an independent stitch group. They didn't invite the Guild to address members before holding the vote. It feels like this terrible breakup where nobody actually wants it to happen. And it felt on the morning of the meeting very sad. This is what one woman called Pamela told me. She's this former head teacher who's been a branch chair. It felt like it was really the end of an era in a way that was quite unnecessary and where I felt that wasn't shared by the trustees who felt that what they were doing was saving the guild. And actually what I felt was that what we were doing was killing the important part of the Guild, which is the bit that engages thousands of people every year into this organisation, which is to do with the bridey, which is also to do with people and friends and colleagues and people with similar interests. And that was just being flicked aside with no understanding I didn't get any sense of understanding during the meeting of just how devastating what was happening was to people on the ground. Pamela was so angry that she wrote a letter to the Guild the day after the general meeting. I am a mum, granny and friend. I have contributed to every organisation I have been a member of. Every member has a similar dynamic life story. We are not useless 
freeloaders are past our best. In all other aspects of my life, I feel empowered, driven and enthusiastic, except when dealing with the CEO and now the trustees of the Guild, where I am made to feel old, useless, part of the problem and with no options worth listening to. It was clear at yesterday's meeting that trustees considered branches are the entire cause of all the problems. By this point in my reporting, I had, of course, been in touch with Terry. There were so many accusations swirling about him. And at first, he agreed. I arranged to go with my producer to interview him at the marina where he lives on his boat. And we had also lined up interviews with the Guild. But this is where things went quite paranoid. I turned up to my Zoom interview with the Guild and they told me that they'd found out who I was speaking to. Because of this, they decided that they wouldn't talk to me on the record. The interview is cancelled. Soon, Terry gets in touch to cancel his interview as well, on the same grounds. To be honest, at this stage, I start getting a bit obsessed. Because the thing I can't really get over is that We're talking about a charity, about textile art and members who really care about it. And there's so much toxicity that I can't get access. Over the next couple of days, we have these back and forth negotiations. And it turned Terry into this white whale in my mind. I'd had sightings and I was so close to him. But he slipped through the net. By this point, I'd heard so much about him. And the two sides are just completely different. The trustees are adamant that the questions about Terry and about the wider mismanagement of the Guild are just untrue and unfair. Those that support Terry and support the Guild disparagingly refer to the people raising this sort of complaint as the anti-Terry brigade. This is really divisive stuff. Terry calls it disingenuous. And I tell the Guild and Terry that I know there are two sides to this, but without an open and frank interview, it's hard to properly see their side. And I want to. But to do that, I can only work with what I can get. One thing I did have that could help me find the truth in this snake pit of conflicting accounts was the accounts. So I spent ages on Company's house and eventually I asked for the advice of a charities expert. Um, It would be really useful if you could introduce yourself for the podcast and then we can just drop it in. Hi, I'm Angela Kale. I'm the Director of Consulting at New Philanthropy Capital, which is a think tank and consultancy for the charity sector. I was hoping that Angela might be able to help me make some sense of this. Are the members right to be outraged? How does a wage like this, so generally around ninety to £100,000 a year, stack up for a charity of this size? So I think the question of a charity of this size is, is a little bit interesting. So do you include the branches um, within it or do you sort of exclude them and say they're sort of separately run? If you exclude them, then it's a lot of money for a chief exec, um, more than you would expect. If you include them, then I'd say it's, you know, it's probably around 10 grand more than you would expect. But certainly 
I think for a charity that's obviously in the financial position that it's in, um, quite a worrisome financial position, it's a little bit more than, than I would expect. I think the fact that he was a contractor over that period is strange. And one of the things that is quite hard to tell from the accounts is, is he a full-time contractor or a part-time contractor? If he's full-time, then the salary is, as I say, a little bit high. If he's a part-time contractor, then it's very high. Hi, Terry. It's Claudia from Tortoise. How are you doing? Obviously, I kept trying and trying with Terry and the Guild. But though they were talking to me, they were still refusing to do an interview on the record. So I tried the next best thing. I found someone who had managed to get the Guild on record to talk about all of this. Hello. Anyway, thank you for uh, getting in touch. Yeah, thank you for agreeing to chat to me, especially at um, quite late notice. Susan is a Guild member who runs a popular podcast called Stitchery Stories. Recent episodes focus on, for example, cross-stitch flowers and Tudor embroidery. In an episode released before the general meeting called Embroiderers Guild in Crisis, she spoke to Guild trustee Penny Hill. So, as I say, Penny's one of the trustees of the UK Embroiderers Guild, and last week, members received a, a notice of general meeting which outlines the financial difficulties. You get the sense of how fraught this thing is for people on all sides, the heightened level of distrust and the bad feeling that's been flying around. In the podcast episode, Penny Hill makes it clear that the branches can choose to go independent and will get a £250 grant to help them start up again. And she says that this was the only choice the trustees had. The charity has lost 1,500 members during the pandemic and they are a small team. That's actually something I spoke to Angela, our charities expert, about. I mean, now there are only four trustees and I think at one point there were 12. That suggests that there is a lack of engagement, maybe lack of interest in the head office aspect of this. Yeah, and I I find that surprising, to be honest. So the fact that there is no trustee for branch membership is quite worrying in that. But it's it's really difficult because it's essentially a network charity all over the country with some quite harsh decisions to make. How does a four or five person trustee board make all of those decisions as well as keep the membership happy? So I feel like the trustees that do exist probably worked really hard, but possibly not at quite the right things. To me, it seems that no matter how hard they're trying, the trustees and the CEO have allowed this deepening sense of us versus them to permeate the Guild. It was clear at the general meeting, it's clear throughout the accounts. In fact, when we put some of these questions in writing to the trustees, they said that they've tried to improve fundraising and replace trustees and keep the charity going. But that change can only happen if there is a sufficient willingness to do so from the membership. They might be right, but it's not exactly an attitude that's going to bring people along with you for the ride. Claudia, oh my God, the sharp end of the lovely world of embroidery. Okay, so in the end, you never quite caught your white whale, but it's just clear that this whole thing is a totally toxic mess. I know. (laughs) Did I tell you that I've literally taken up embroidery in the process of making this podcast? You didn't. Wow, but actually I I can see remnants of your attempts in the podcast studio. I will finish it one day. (laughs) 
However you look at it, the past decade in the Embroiderers Guild has been consumed with infighting and tension. In the end, I think the story of Terry Murphy and the Sowers uprising is about cash versus community. About how when you really love something, as the members love sewing, a male changemaker swanning in, never having picked up a needle, is an affront to the things they hold dear. Because in the end, these women are losing something that matters. A charity that was already struggling has cracked under the pressure of the pandemic. And the answer it came up with was to rip itself apart at the seams. People have said, wow, all this about embroidery. Yep, all this about embroidery. Because it's something that people love, you know, and that's what happens, isn't it, you know? Thanks for listening this week. And as ever, if you're enjoying this podcast, do give us a review and leave us some feedback. And there's something else you can do too if you're finding what we do interesting and you're enjoying our stories. The newsroom where I work called Tortoise is a membership organisation, which means that you can join us and you can join me. I know I say this almost every week, but it is genuinely a way for you to get more involved in our ideas and our stories. And of course, I've got a code for you guys. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend for a half price discount. Just use the code BASHA50. That's B-A-S-I-A 50. This podcast was produced by Hannah Varrell and original music was by Tom Kinsella. Thanks and we'll see you next week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand-new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now?, The Bunker, and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.